been a blessed day, hasn't it? And, you know, being a New Year, you think of time. You know what I'm saying? And I was there praising and worshiping the Lord and looking at Israel playing the guitar. And uh, now Sister Hannah sitting in the back. I was in the hospital the day both of them were born. Isn't that amazing? And uh, the Haywards, in fact, I did, uh, is, um, Richard, that's Israel's father, plays the drum, I did their wedding. And when uh, Israel and Hannah were just babies, their mom and dad used to come over, over to our house every single Sunday and, uh, and stay with us, meet with us until the evening service. And Israel was the cutest little guy. And he used to go up into our daughter's bedroom. She was a teenager at the time, and she'd read him books. And, and Hannah was just cute. And um, I remember one day, I had prescriptions even back then, and she grabbed some of mine. Well, we weren't sure whether she took them or not. She just had some of the powder. <laughs> and we had to rush her to the hospital and have her stomach pumped and, and all that. It was awful. It was really terrible. But we had a lot of good times at our house. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what Israel used to do? I'm really getting off, off track. But you know what Israel used to do? He used to take our car keys. And he's like three years old at the time. Can you imagine how cute he was? He still is. But he used to take our car keys and hide them. And uh, I remember one time we had this vase sitting in the door. We finally, we finally found him in there. It's so weird to think when I see him up here all tall and he's been through the army, he's been deployed and all that. And uh, when I baptized him, he was shorter than me. <laughs> I just think about that, how amazing it is. But anyway, it's great to have family, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you for you, for your love, and for the way that you have just shown and expressed your love for us to such an extent that you stretched out your arms and died on a cross that anyone who calls upon your name and believes in you would be saved from all of their sin and saved from death. And I pray, Father, that you would take the word this morning and make it alive to us. Cause your Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to be able to have full meaning from, from everything that is shared. And I ask and pray for your anointing, Lord, because on my own, I, I have nothing to share. But Lord, with your anointing, I can share the truth to these, your people. And so come and minister through me, and to me, to this precious group that you've called together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we are in Deuteronomy 13, we're beginning um, chapter 13, and um, you know, one of the things that we always have to remember is that um, our God is good. No matter what, our God is good. And I have to get my pages in order here, somehow I got them all out of order. And, uh, sorry, hang on one second. Okay, let me put my glasses on because I can't read. I don't want to start preaching and all of a sudden you guys are thinking, where in the world is he? He's all over the place. Okay, there's page one, there's page two, three, four. You're thinking, oh my gosh, that many pages? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. No, not, not really. Now, we have to remember that the Lord desires us to worship him in spirit and truth. That's one of the main things that the Lord requires of us, is to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
And it's so easy for us as believers to get caught up in all the mechanics of Christianity and lose sight of what it means to have relationship because our faith is all about having relationship with the living God. God so loved us that he sent his only begotten son into the world. And he sent his son into the world for no other reason than love because we were separated from God by sin. And God, in his desire to bring us back into full communal relationship with him, was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. And God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he not only dwelt among us, but he showed us the way and then provided the means for that way by dying on a cross. The perfect lamb of God who was able to take the sin of the world upon himself. And so when we remember that and we study portions of scripture like this that might seem to be pretty difficult, pretty tough, I think it helps us to understand that God was very difficult, I shouldn't say difficult, God was very tough on the Israelites as they came into the land because he desired to keep them holy and righteous before him and not to be thrown off into all kinds of false teachings. In Isaiah 8.20 it says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Because in this portion, we're going to be looking at those who bring false teachings. In other words, those who, who are taking the people of God and teaching them to go after other gods and other doctrines. And God is very, very strong in warning against that because it takes us away from him. And you're going to have people that will not grow up in an understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. And we have to understand that every single one of us, barring the rapture, every one of us, we are going to die physically. And we have to understand that after death comes judgment. And we are going to be judged, guilty or innocent, not by, by how wonderful we are and how many good deeds we've done. We're going to be shown to be guilty or innocent by our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, by our receiving his redemption, his sacrifice, his propitiation as the full sacrifice for our sin that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from sin and saved from death. In the Gospel of John, if you would like to turn to that, I'm going to read verses 23 through 24. Keep your fingers here in Deuteronomy 13. But I'm going to read the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And listen to what the Lord is telling us in this portion. John 4, starting with verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking those to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, notice, worshiping in truth was just as important as worshiping in the Spirit. Also in the Gospel of John, if you move down to chapter 8 and verse 32, and what it tells us in 8.32, and you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall make you free. And now move down to John 17, 17. John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So in these verses, we're seeing how important truth is. Truth is paramount in our relationship with God and our salvation. And therefore, anyone or anything that deviates from the truth or discourages the truth, God takes a strong stand against. And the reason he takes a a strong stand is because of his love for us. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that love, that expression of love that God has displayed towards each one of us, it is natural that he would become very angry with those who teach false doctrines and false religions. Now, the warning the Lord gives all believers in this portion we're going to find um, is about false teaching. And one of the greatest weaknesses that we have in relationship to receiving false teachings, you know what our greatest weakness is? We want to hear what we want to hear. I want to hear what I want to hear. Hey, this guy is teaching what I want to hear. Hey, this guy's preaching what I want to hear. Hey, this book is telling me what I want to hear. But that's a danger because the only thing I desire to hear is the word of God. I desire to hear what comes from the mouth of God. And so therefore, his word, the Holy Scriptures, go before any of the teachings of men or of man. We have to keep our focus there. You know, um, there are many false teachers out there who desire to teach what we want to hear. You know, you have the health, wealth, prosperity doctrines that are out there. Now, there are doctrines in the, or there are verses in the Bible that teach about the God, about the Lord God bringing healing to people, and there are verses in Scripture about how the Lord blesses people in so many different ways. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is surrendering to Jesus Christ, giving our lives to him. But you had doctrines that were out there that were saying, hey, if you come to our church, if you listen to our doctrine, if you follow what we say, you're going to be rich. Or if you follow what we say and you pray the way we tell you to pray, you're going to be healed. The reality is not everyone is rich. I've been following the Lord for a lot of years. I'm not rich. Not everyone is healed. But the reality is that all of us who commit our lives to Jesus Christ, we have received the greatest riches this world has to offer, and that's salvation. And we also receive the greatest healing from sin and death. Because you and I now as believers, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. For me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And we mentioned this a little bit in the first service. It's a travesty that people have such fear of death. I'm not saying you should be cavalier about your life. The Lord commands us to, make, you know, to take charge of our life and to make sure we don't do things that are risking our life without any reason. But the reality is that Death should not be our greatest fear. Our greatest fear should, not be, uh, should be not being in relationship with the Lord. You know, when I think of uh, 
people that we love, and they maybe are on the very precipice of passing from this life to the next, in other words, dying, our greatest fear should be, our greatest concern, I'd rather, should be, do they know Jesus Christ? Are they born again? That's the most important thing. Because anyone who commits their life to Jesus Christ will be healed. Not necessarily in this life, but they will be healed. Because when we stand before the Lord one day in our glorified bodies, they'll be perfect. Perfect. We won't have any shortcomings at all. We'll have the ability to completely worship him without any of the entanglements of the world. I always tell people, when I receive my glorified body, I'm going to be 6'5". Everyone else will be 8'2". But anyway, um, the point I'm getting at is that we have to understand that the, the focus that we all should have is on Jesus Christ and his truth. And therefore, anything that takes away from his truth needs to be judged and dealt with very strictly. Because um, the warning God gives here is very harsh. And it is harsh, and I'm not going to try to you know, sugarcoat it. It is. And so if we turn to Deuteronomy 13... And starting with verse 1, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass, so he's not only giving you a sign and wonder, he's not only prophesying to you and telling you some wonder is going to happen, and it happens, it actually happens, of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall put away the evil from your midst. And so this chapter begins with a series of warnings to Israel, and it'll continue as we, as we go on. And because they were coming into the promised land, and they were going to be exposed to sin they never even knew before, they never even heard of before. And so he's warning them, be careful, because you're going to have all these people trying to entice you, even with signs and wonders, to follow their ways. But it's not of me. Don't follow them. And, um, of course, these are warnings also to you and I that we have to take very seriously. Because if someone claims to be a prophet or performs some kind of sign or wonder, and it comes to pass, and yet they promote a doctrine or a religion that is contrary to the word of God, we are to put them to death. Not necessarily literally today. Back in that day, they did. They stoned them. But today, we put their teaching to death. We're not going to follow that. That's wrong. That we're putting that away from us. Because we live in a time 
that there are all kinds of false religions and teachings out there. You know, um, I wrote a book years ago called The Shadow Church, and uh, there's uh, things that I would change in it. I was a bit more legalistic than I should have been in writing that book. But the whole concept behind the book was that there are many things that come into the church that are promoted as being biblical, promoted as being wonderful, when in reality they're not. They're not according to the word of God. And so we have to be so cautious on that because there's so much media that people can watch. You know, there's media preachers, there's media churches, there's all kinds of, you know, uh, videos you can get and CDs you can get. But if they don't follow the word of God, it's a lie, and we shouldn't be caught up in it. You know, just like with uh, uh, the health wealth doctrine, do you know how many people have been deceived into thinking if they're following Jesus Christ, the purpose of it, or one of the main benefits of it is they're going to become wealthy? And when they don't become wealthy, they're discouraged. But if we're following Jesus Christ because the promise is, I'm going to be saved, my soul is going to be redeemed to God, and when I die or the rapture comes, I'm going to be with the Lord, well, we won't be dissatisfied, we won't be disappointed, because we will have what the Word of God has promised us. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's very serious. As we have said before, and now say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. That's serious. Now turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 13 through 15. <clears throat> so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, X, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, go to verse 13. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. And this is the reason it's so important for you and I to know the word of God. Because if we're hearing all kinds of teachings out there, either on, on television or on videos or in books we're reading, and we're exposed to all these teachings, how are we going to know whether it's true or not? Especially when it appeals to all of our senses. Remember, at the beginning, we want to hear what we want to hear. I shared that with you. And if we're reading a book or watching a video or a TV show and it's sharing with us what we want to hear... It's so easy to grab a hold of it and hang on to it, but is it according to the Word of God? There are many good things that, you know, tantalize our flesh and encourage us in seeking the pleasures of this world, but they're not of God. No, 
Um, this is why the Signs and Wonder move, movement did so much harm to the church. And a lot of you aren't even old enough to remember when that movement went through the church. It was called the Signs and Wonder movement. And the whole idea was, if there's a sign, if there's some kind of wonder, it proves it's God. A video that you want to watch, you probably can get it on television or whatever. It's a long video, I'll, I'll tell you that. Um, it's called The American Gospel. And it shows how the gospel of Jesus Christ has been morphed and transformed in order to um, stimulate people in this country to follow their teaching, which is a false teaching. This American gospel is a false gospel that is spoken of in this video. And they even showed one guy who had all kinds of people following him because he was doing this all these miraculous healings. He was causing people's legs to grow and all kinds of things like that. And they found out it was just a sham. And he'd made arrangements with these people ahead of time. And you had churches that people would be worshiping and all of a sudden gold dust would fall from the sky. And oh, look, this is of God, look. Not realizing that they already had it up in the ceiling and at the right time it was released to fall down. And so people would get caught up, oh, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. And what happens? It would open their heart. And then they would preach doctrine that was wrong. They would preach doctrine that wasn't true. And it would go in because people had opened their heart to false teaching because of being deceived by signs and wonders. And so you and I have to be very careful to know the word of God. It's the only way we can be sure of not being deceived. The only way... The only reason I know that what I'm teaching is the truth is when I'm teaching from the Word of God. You know, people sometimes wonder why we do, the, the fancy way of saying, saying it is we do systematic expositional preaching. What that means is we go through the entire Bible verse by verse from Genesis to Revelation. We cover every word. And the reason we do that is that's the only way we know the truth is being shared. Now, if you want to... Um, Write down, take note of a good verse. I'm going to read to you <clears throat> Acts 17.11 from the NIV Bible. And when I read this verse, you're going to be thinking, oh, okay. In Acts 17.11 it says, Now the Bereans, sound familiar? Were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. So they weren't afraid to check Scripture to see if what the Apostle Paul was saying was true. How much more should we be willing to do that? And that's the reason we gave the name of our church Berean Calvary Chapel. Because my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Admonition? Is that the right word? My admonition to each one of you is don't just listen to what I'm saying and say, oh, well, the pastor said it, so it's true. You compare it to the Word of God. Compare it. Be a Berean. And any teaching you hear, and any book you read, any video you watch, be a Berean and compare it to the Word of God. Because false teaching is deadly. It's deadly. <clears throat> so the standing rule of, of our faith is to practice all that God says and never challenge it with false teachings and false doctrines. Because the standing rule of our faith and practice is that God never changes. 
God doesn't change. Well, it's different today. This is a new doctrine. This is a new policy. This is an, a new teaching. And I've heard that, you know, from the mouth of TV evangelists and preachers and, and from books that I've read. This is a new... There's nothing new. God closed Scripture at the end of Revelation. There's nothing new. And anything that you read or anything you hear that is contrary to the Word of God is a lie from hell. And it'll pull you astray. And that's why, um, you know, I love Hebrews 13, verses 8 and 9. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. There are so many various and strange doctrines out there, it's absolutely amazing. You know, I, I could go through all kinds of it because I've lived a long time through all these. But um, probably most of you have never even heard of this. Holy laughter, you ever heard of that? You know what holy laughter was? The preacher would be up there preaching and all of a sudden someone in the congregation start going, <laughs> and then others in the congregation start laughing. <laughs> They'd be falling, literally, falling on the floor, holding their stomach, rolling around, laughing, and the pastor would say, okay, the Holy Spirit's here. And then they, people would laugh and roll around for 30 or 40 minutes. How could that have ever become a doctrine? And then you had the demon doctrine. You had churches. You know when planes, they have throw-up bags in the back of the seats? You had churches that had throw-up bags in the back of their pews because the pastor would get out there and start casting out demons, and they believed that when the demons came out, you'd throw up. And so people would throw up in these bags. That was in the church? Yep. How in the world could that be? Unbelievable. And then you had the, uh, what they call heavy shepherding church movement. And what the heavy shepherding church movement would be, because I'm your pastor, I hold your salvation in my hands. It's through Jesus, but I hold your salvation in my hands. Therefore, you have to report everything to me, and you have to have my approval for everything. If you want to sell something, you have to ask me first. Because I'm the shepherd of this flock. How can that be? Because people don't know the word of God. There have been so many things. Territorial demons. You guys know about those? I mean, it was a good fiction book, fun to read, you know, Frank Pretty's books. But it's not the way the Bible teaches. And they would go, like you'd have pastors and religious people that go on top of the hill overlooking their city, in the name of Jesus I cast out all the territorial demons. And then they would have all these exorcism you know, practices during church and so forth, and um, people were all into it. All into it. And the only reason I'm sharing some of these things that I've lived through in the years I've been a pastor and, 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 uh, and a Christian is to show you that the words that we're reading about here are not just some, you know, off-cuff thing. It's so easy even for believers who take their focus off the Word of God and Jesus Christ to get caught up into some of these teachings. But we have to remember, Jesus doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Now, moving down to verse 6 of Deuteronomy 13, this is very, very harsh. 
Deuteronomy 13, starting with verse 6. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend, who is as your own soul, secretly entices you, saying, let us go and serve other gods, which you have not known, neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people which are all around you, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him or listen to him, nor shall your eyes pity him, nor shall you spare him or conceal him, but you shall surely kill him. Your hands shall be first against him and put him to death, <clears throat> and afterwards the hands of all the people, and you shall stone him with stones until he dies." because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So all Israel shall hear and fear, and not again do such wickedness as this among you. And the reason this seems very harsh is because it is. You look at that and you think, wow. Well, we have to understand it was a new nation that was being formed. And we have to realize that the word of God is the only truth. And so the Lord was trying to admonish them and to teach them that when you come into this land, there's going to be all kinds of false teachings. And it might be that even some that are very close to you, even your closest relatives, even your spouse, might try to use that relationship to introduce you to some false doctrine that's contrary to the word. He says, put them to death. Because it was so important as they were forming this nation of Israel that the truth be preserved. Now, obviously, you and I today, we don't put people to death. But as I mentioned earlier, their doctrine has to be put to death. And we have such a tendency in the church today, we want to, be, we want to just be loving. And we should be. And we want to be accepting. And we should be. But not a false teaching and false doctrine. You know, if someone comes in and shares some false teaching and false doctrine, we have to be willing to take a stand against it. I remember some years ago, a guy came to church, a really nice guy. He seemed to really love the worship service and so forth. And afterwards, he was telling me, he, well, as I'll just make a long story short. He was a, a Jesus-only doctrine guy. In other words, there's not a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's just God. Sometimes he's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But that's completely contrary to what Scripture teaches us. I mean, even at the baptism of Jesus, you have all three persons of the God, singular Godhead present. And so I wasn't mean or ugly. I just said to him, I just want you to know we don't teach that nor believe that, and I will openly uh, share with people who are being exposed to it. He said, okay, okay, and he, and he left. That, in a sense, was putting that teaching to death. And we have to be, all of us have to be willing to do the same thing. But I think there's such a, a, a desire in our society, in our world today, not to want to offend a, a anyone and to just show how we're all kumbaya brothers in the Lord, which we are, those who really are following the scripture. But then sometimes it causes us to accept doctrines that are contrary to scripture. And we cannot do that. This is the word of God. And we need to believe and trust the word of God 
you know, not the false teachings of people that want to want to entice us and pull us away. And um, just think about Israel was to be a nation based on the word of God. And what could be more harmful than someone who's trying to pull them away? Consider this. How would you feel, those of you that are married will understand this and, and maybe with even deeper insight, but for all of us, how would you feel if you knew some very charming, dashing, beautiful or handsome person was talking to your spouse and telling them all kinds of lies about you and trying to entice them to go off with them. You'd be thinking, I'll tell you what I do. <laughs> well, we have to understand, Satan and his angels of light and working through people can be very charming and very enticing, and usually they start off just like Satan did in the, in the garden. Remember what Satan said to Eve? Did God really say... And that's usually how these false teachers start off. Does the Bible really say? Did God really say? Well, when we know the scripture, we can say, yeah. <laughs> and that person's done. You know what I'm saying? They're done. But if we don't know the word of God, or we're not willing to take a 100% stand in the word of God, and they come up with these teachings, we might be like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. Sounds pretty good. Well, if it's not according to the word of God, it's not good. It's not to be followed. But we have to be careful because in our desire, and you know this to be true, to accept everyone, and we should accept everyone, but we don't accept false teaching. You know, people can come into this church that have all kinds of crazy ideas, and we'll love them, and we'll share the truth with them, but we won't allow their false doctrine to be spread. And our hope is that they truly get saved or born again. Now, like I said, we might not put false prophets to death today, but we cannot tolerate their teachings because we're talking about the souls of people. Jesus said, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his very soul? We're talking about the souls of people, the eternal you know, soul, the destination of a person for all eternity. You know, there is a heaven and there is a hell. There's no purgatory, there's no nirvana, there's no some in-between place. When a person dies, if they have committed their life to Jesus Christ, they're going to heaven. They're not going to heaven because of how wonderful they are, they're going to heaven because of how wonderful Jesus is. And people who die and do not have Jesus, they're going to hell. And they're not going to hell because of any other reason than they rejected the free gift of God through Jesus Christ. And so we have to realize that we cannot allow ourselves to be in some kind of a neutral zone, accepting things that aren't of the, of the Lord, aren't of the word of God. Because there is nothing worse than allowing the introduction of false teaching to come into a church, or even into our own heart. And we have to realize that the closer the relationship we have with a person, sometimes the easier it is to follow what that person is teaching. Do you know what I'm saying? If someone's a really good friend, and all of a sudden they come up with this doctrine that they're sharing with you, and you say, well, you know, I just want you to know that's not biblical. 
well, well, who do you love more? The Lord or that friend? If it's not according to the word of God, it's a lie. It's a lie. And it has to and it must be rejected. And uh, because we're talking about the souls of people. There's nothing more important than the soul of a person. I, I mentioned this in the first service. We're body, soul, and spirit. And our body is this physical, outward, you know, vessel that we walk around in, soul and spirit. And it has all the enticements and all the interaction with this world. And our soul is our self-identity, who we are as a person. Like people, some people are funny. You know what I mean? They're naturally funny, like Pastor Frank Jr. And I think when he's in heaven, he'll still be funny. Because that's, that's him, it's his identity, his self-identity. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be like, well, who am I? Who are you? You're going to know who you are, and you're going to know who others are. We shall know and be known, Scripture tells us. So we have to understand that our soulish personality is a wonderful thing. But what controls our soulish personality? Is it controlled by the flesh? Well, that's the only choice we have until we're born again. And then his spirit quickens or makes alive our spirit that now we have communion with God. And so now this vehicle of the flesh is not controlled only by our soulish you know, nature, but also by the spirit of God dwelling within us. And so now we know what we need to do. We know how we need to walk. We know, you know what the Lord has shown us. Because we have to realize Satan tempted Eve. Then what did Eve do? She turned right around and she tempted Adam. And sin entered into the world. In 1 John 2.16 it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And some of you might be thinking, well, didn't the devil tempt Adam too? Well, I'm, I'm sure he did tempt him, but that's not why he fell. In fact, it tells us in 1 Timothy 2, 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. And if you want to look at the account of this, we go back to Genesis chapter 3, if you take notes, and, and you could even go there quickly, that's easy to go to, Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 4. Genesis 3, and go to verse 4. Genesis 3, 4. You there? Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, because, see, once again, he was questioning God's word. God said, when you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. He wasn't talking about physical death. He was talking about spiritual death. You'll be separated from me. And, uh, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, not in omnipotent, omniscient power, but knowing good and evil. You shall be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eye, lust of the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, this does not absolve the man from sin. The woman was tempted by Satan, and 
then the woman tempted Adam, and they both fell to sin. It doesn't absolve Adam, because he made his choice, and he fell to sin as well. But the point that I'm trying to bring out is that we have to be so careful because sometimes those closest to us can entice us and encourage us into sin. And we can't do it. Because we have to understand that our relationship with the Lord is based on truth. We worship him in spirit and in truth. His word is truth. And so we can't allow ourselves to be pulled away by all kinds of craziness that's out there. And guess what? Our world is getting crazier and crazier. Think about this. One year ago, we had no idea what the year 2020 would be like. I'm 75 years old, and I'm trying to think, look around, see if there's anyone older than me. I don't think. I'm the oldest guy in the church. <laughs> but anyway, I, I'm 75 years old, I know I don't look it, just, you know, you don't have to give me those compliments, but I'm 75 years old, and I'll be 76 the 25th of January, and I'll put my birthday list out there, but I'm joking. <laughs> but I'm 75 years old. I have never seen anything, ever, anything like we're seeing today. You know, I've been a Christian for a lot of years. I've been a pastor for, what, 40 years, almost 40 years? And I've never seen anything like we're seeing in the world today. It's absolutely insane. And in four days, we're going to be looking at 21 or 2021. What's that going to be like? I have no idea. But the point is, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Because this world, I mean, this world is falling apart. This world is getting crazier and crazier. And so we have no idea, no idea at all what this year is going to bring. But one thing I do know, they'll bring us closer to the return of Jesus Christ. I know that for a fact, and I'll read a verse that'll, that'll uh, prove that. But we're living in the time of the end. I shared this in the morning service. Israel is a nation. Jerusalem is now its capital. Uh, the nations of Ezekiel 38 that are going to come against Israel just before the rapture take place, they're all in place. Everything is set. Everything's set. Boop. All that has to happen is the time clock of, of God, the button is pushed, and we're gone out of this world. And so we have to understand, we don't know what this world's going to bring. That's why we've got to keep our focus on the Lord. There's nothing, brothers and sisters, more distracting to us today than politics and COVID-19. Nothing more distracting than that. And neither one of them make any difference because God is God. And nothing changes that. God is never caught by surprise. What's going to happen is going to happen. We know that this world is going to become so evil, it's already pretty evil, but it's going to become so evil that God is going to pull his bride out of this world, the church, in the rapture, and his wrath is going to be poured out on this planet. And his wrath will be great. And so in Romans, it tells us, chapter 13, verses 11 and 12, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer 
than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. How seriously do we take the fact that one day we're going to be standing before the Lord? It might be in death or it might be in rapture. But we're all going to stand before the Lord. In Luke 21, verse 36, and it says, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of God. It could be any moment. It could be before we leave the church today. And it's so easy to think that's just some kind of a fairy tale in the Bible. It's a fact. There are so many things in Scripture that people, you know, thought were, they're crazy. That's not science. Did you know science taught that the world was flat at one time? I mean, of course, you all know that. We used to have pictures of people on ships coming to the end of the world and falling off. Did you know that the Bible teaches that the world is round? God sits above the circle in the, in the Hebrew means sphere, ball of the earth. But yet you had people that believed the world was flat. And then all of a sudden, the same science that made them think the world was fat, fl flat proved the world was round according to Scripture. Everything in Scripture is true. Everything in Scripture will be fulfilled exactly in God's timing. And the fact of the matter is the rapture is true. One day, you and I are going to be taken out of this world and receive glorified body. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says there's a physical body and there's a spiritual body. The physical comes first and then the spiritual. And can you imagine when we have that spiritual body? We won't even know how to sin. There'll be no sickness, no illness, no nothing, except worshiping and serving the Lord. What an amazing promise we have. And when you get home, I want you to take note. When you get home, I want you to read Romans 14, 7 through 9. Romans 14, 7 through 9. Because next time we meet, it's going to be 2021. If we do meet. Maybe we'll be gone. Who knows? Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, because your word is truth. And I ask, Father, that the things that we have looked at this afternoon, this morning, would really encourage us to not allow our hearts to be taken after the things of this world, but to just follow you in spirit and truth, because your word is truth. We love you, Lord, and help us to love you even more. And we thank you for all the promises that you've given us, that this world is not our home, that this life is not our own, and that death is not the end. What great promises you have for us, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you would now dismiss us with your blessing, causing your favor to shine upon us, and just prepare our hearts as we face a new year, if we're here, that we might be your servants, maybe more faithful than we've ever been. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.